0: How's it going, Longhorn Nation? Welcome to Texas Talk, your one-stop shop for everything involving Texas Longhorns football. I'm your host, Brian McLoon, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Michael Farber. We are recording on Tuesday, July 5th, and today we are going to be talking about another great week for Texas in recruiting. Um, And we will also continue to go through the Big 12 and talk about Kansas and If we have time, uh, Kansas State, but we might save them for next week with TCU. Um, Before we get into it, though, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. Also, make sure to check out our website, texas-talk.com. On the website, you'll be able to find the Longhorns roster, depth chart, recruiting targets, any trending news, plus our analysis on the team. So be sure to check us out. With all that said, Michael, how was your Fourth of July weekend?
1: Oh, it was really good. Um, got to go play golf a couple times, which is always fun. Um, nice. Went to the pool after golf yesterday, which was nice as well. And then yeah. got to blow up some stuff. So um, overall, hey. it's a really really <laughs> good weekend.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. How about how, how was your weekend though?
0: Uh, it wasn't too bad. I I kind of did a lot around the house, you know, um, you know, just. Classic cleaning out rooms and stuff like that. And then yesterday we um we went to my aunt's house and we just had a little cookout. So um yeah, nice. nothing crazy, a little low key, but uh, it was a nice three day weekend for me. So oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was awesome. So um all right, well uh we can get right into it. And I kinda wanna start with um Texas's recruiting. Obviously, since Arch Manning it's been on fire and it continued. Um after we recorded last week, I, I I think uh the next day actually, uh Jonte Cook committed to Texas. So um obviously that was probably the biggest headliner. Um uh, five star wide receiver, probably best wide receiver in Texas. Um what are your thoughts on on Jonte Cook's commitment?
1: Yeah, that that was a big one. Um we kind of expected it though, we just didn't know when. Um you know. yep. Uh, both you and I have talked about maybe he was going to take the Evan Stewart route and kind of drag it out and get as much publicity out of it as he could. Um, but he, he decided to go ahead and do it um, in the summer, which is great for us, great for this class. And, uh, you know, he, he's up there with Evan Stewart. You know, he has the same talent level. There was a video of him uh, racing him for the 40-yard, racing yeah. Evan Stewart in a 40-yard dash, and he looked like he beat him. Uh, so it looks like Jonte's a little bit short, um, Yeah. But one, one thing that I'm starting to notice about this class is we already have three wide receivers committed uh, so far. Um, I, I don't know how many this staff's going to take, uh, but Jalen Hale's still on the table. Uh, Macal, uh, Harrison Pilot is still there as well. Um, and, you know, another guy, Jaden Greathouse, we're going to talk about in a little bit, is is still on the board, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how many how many guys the staff takes at wide receiver.
0: Yeah, and you know what? That's I was actually about to kind of piggyback off that next is this wide receiver uh, recruiting class is kind of starting to fill up. You know, um, yeah. obviously we only we only got Brennan Thompson and um, and uh, Savion Red last year at wide receiver, um, and now this year. Obviously, we, we secured Ryan Niblett pretty early on in the process. We also landed Jonah Wilson directly after Arch Manning. And now with Jonte Cook, that's um, three big-time wide receivers, top 150 wide receivers um, for Texas already. So, like you you mentioned, um, Jalen Hale is still on the table for sure. Um, Mikhail Harrison-Pilot is another guy who's listed as an athlete. Um, but it kind of sounds like he wants to play wide receiver. So um, we'll see the fact that Harrison pilot is a little bit more versatile might help um, Sarkeesian with the numbers here in the recruiting class. Um, Currently I see we have 18 commitments. If that's by my count, Um, we kind of mentioned at the, at the back end of the pod last week, but I really I don't know how many spots we're gonna have. I kind of did some math in my head after we, uh, you know, after we talked about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I only see like twenty five to thirty spots on this roster. Thirty being we get a, a few transfer portal additions, um, some probably a little surprising, maybe a couple NFL um, uh, draft uh, surprises as well. So yeah. that would be on the high end of my opinion, um, but we're at 18. We got at least, I would say 25 uh, spots and there's still some big names on the board. We mentioned the wide receivers, but also Malik Muhammad hasn't committed. Uh, Jordan Matthews, Darian Gallette, Anthony Hill, Cedric Baxter, uh, JVN Taviano, David Hicks. Uh, I could go on for a couple more names too. Um, that's a lot of names and not a lot of spots so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how um, you know how how Sark kind of stacks this class but um, before I get too far away from it Texas also landed uh, Sudhir Mitchell a big nose tackle defensive lineman out of New Jersey and they beat the georgia bulldogs to get them which (laughs) yeah in my opinion is a huge huge win i think it's it's pretty obvious georgia has one of the best defenses in the country um and to beat them for a guy from new jersey is is pretty pretty insane in my opinion um you know it's not like new jersey has some sort of pipeline to texas or georgia for that matter but Mm-hmm. All things being equal, for him to choose Texas over Georgia is uh is is impressive on this coaching staff and Bo Davis.
1: Yeah, and you know, looking at you know, his ranking, um don't pay too much attention to that. Uh he he's just outside the top three hundred um for twenty four seven. Um, but you know, when schools are fighting over him, especially Georgia, who's known mm-hmm. for producing those big interior defensive linemen, um you know that that's a really good get and a really good get over Georgia. You know who, is, yeah. who just won the national championship. Um, yeah. So mainly you know, because, because of their defense and their defense yeah. line too. Exactly. Um, so so to go ahead and get a defensive lineman who's six five over three thirty, um, that's that's going to be a really good replacement for uh, whenever Keandre Coburn leaves uh, through the draft or or just you know finishes out school, um, but. Man, that a big run stuff like that could really, really help out your young linebackers. And um, after Overshaw Leagues, we're going to have really young, young linebackers.
0: Yeah, I mentioned it um, last week, how defensive line helps kind of the linebacking uh, recruiting as well. And I can't imagine Sadir Mitchell coming to Texas being a bad thing for uh, uh, <laughs> potential Anthony Hill. Uh, no,
1: no. <laughs>
0: commitment. But, uh, you know, you mentioned his low kind of outside the top 300 in in the recruiting rankings. Um, Just so the audience knows, the recruiting rankings are built off of potential uh, NFL draft. Um, You know, where these guys are going to go NFL draft if they go at all. So a guy that's playing nose tackle or even when you see these tight ends, um, there's just not a lot of them in the NFL draft. They just, you know, it. you see the edge rushers, the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, those positions usually have the high rankings as, as uh, also cornerback and safety and the linebackers. But nose tackles, tight ends, interior offensive linemen, those positions can have lower recruiting rankings, and you can still feel good about it and – yeah, the fact that yeah. Sudhir Mitchell is still a four-star, despite the fact that he's mostly known for his run-stuffing ability, and that's not really a sexy NFL draft pick, um, is is uh, you know kudos to him. That's uh, that's still a very impressive get.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
0: yeah, just to keep in mind, the stars don't don't necessarily um, kind of line up with college value. It's more so the NFL draft projection. Sorry, go on.
1: No, you're not. You're fine. Um, talk, I just going back to when you were talking about numbers. Um, you know, if, if we do get close to that thirty mark, I could see a couple guys. You know, not really getting their scholarships pulled, but maybe asked hey, a, can, mm-hmm. can you look somewhere else kind of thing. Yeah. Um You know, if, if we have a really really good visit with uh, Deuce Robinson and he somehow commits, um, yep. I could very well see Spencer Shannon. You know being asked to look elsewhere um there's no chance that will randall's going to be asked to look elsewhere because i think if we do that with him um that may hurt our chances with arch signing um, right. just because they have played together and, and i'm not saying that we're going to do that but there, yeah. there are ways to work around the numbers uh when it gets a little bit tighter closer to signing day
0: yeah and um the audience deuce robinson we haven't talked about him yet but um six foot six tight end five star top 20 in the nation um from arizona and i just mentioned how um you know the tight end class is kind of undervalued <laughs> in the nfl yeah. draft and, and how they usually don't get recruited um get high highly uh recruited um with the national recruiting rankings but i mean if this guy's a top 20 player you know that he's very good then because that means, um, you know, these people who are making the stars at 24-7 sports, they're, they're pretty confident that this guy is going to be an absolute star in, yeah. in college and make it to the NFL. So, um, yeah. yeah, he would be a huge, huge addition, um, especially Steve Sarkeesian, you know, puts so much emphasis on uh, tight end in his offense. Um, he calls it the second most important position um, in his offense, aside from obviously quarterback, but um, yeah, securing a guy like Deuce Robinson would be a huge get, especially he's a USC lean right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, see so, another chance yeah. to stick it to Lincoln Riley. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Any way to uh, to piss off Lincoln Riley, I think all Texas fans will be uh, will be cheering for so. <laughs> yeah. Um we kind of mentioned him a, you mentioned him a little bit Jaden Greathouse um you know Austin kid from Westlake um his making his his announcement in 10 days on July 15th so um how do you feel on him I know I have my thoughts but I want to hear yours first
1: Yeah I I, I don't think we're going to get him obviously um um, I don't even think he's taken an official visit to Austin. He's been to Austin several times because he's from Austin, Texas, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think he's taken an official yet. Um, I think he's going to end up at Notre Dame. Um, yeah. And, you know, if he does um, – uh, what's his name? The new Notre Dame head coach.
0: Marcus Freeman.
1: Yes, Marcus Freeman. He's throwing together a great class over there Yeah, um, for his first – I wouldn't even. I don't even know if it's a full class, but uh, his first class at Notre Dame um, is a really, really good one so far. And getting Jaden Greathouse would be a great pickup for them. Um, I, I just think the staff um, is looking elsewhere, probably more towards Jalen Hale, um, mm-hmm. but Jaden Greathouse is a great player, uh, bigger size, you know, quick too, um, really, really good player, and I think Mark is going to get a really good one.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I mean. I kind of mentioned it a few times, but I'm from Chicago. Um, my brother-in-law is a huge Notre Dame fan. And um, so, you know, I keep up with them a decent amount. And it's kind of fun talking about recruiting now because Notre Dame is the number one class and Texas <laughs> is number three. And obviously has had an awesome week. So, but um, I was saying how Jaden Greyhouse is like the typical Notre Dame wide receiver. He's six foot two, over 215 pounds. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't be surprised if you see him move to like a a big tight end. um, Yeah. If if he makes it to the NFL, you know, he's um, a big possession type of receiver. So it's not really the kind of receiver that Steve Sarkeesian typically looks for. He looks for that, those Ferraris. I think we mentioned almost every other (laughs) podcast, But, but I love the term because it's so true. It's like, he wants the fast guys, you know, he wants the, the Jalen Hales, um, the Jonte Cooks, um, even the Jonah Wilsons. Even though Jonah Wilson and uh, Jalen Hale are kind of bigger at six foot three, they're still lean, and um, you know they still have that long striding speed. Um, you wouldn't com- you wouldn't um, confuse either of them with a tight end like you would Jaden Greyhouse. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so. like you like you said, he's a he's a six two two fifteen compared to. Jalen Hale, to 175. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, 40 pounds. 40 pounds difference yeah. there. Um, so yeah, Jaden Greathouse is going to be a really good player. And like I said, I think Marcus Freeman has him basically locked up at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly. Notre Dame is just missing that quarterback. Um, yeah, We were also talking, we thought maybe it would be Dante Moore, who is, um, I think he's rated as the fourth best quarterback in the 2023 class, but he's also like a top 20 player. It's just like an insane quarterback class, right? now. um, Obviously Arch Manning, Malachi Nelson going to USC and uh, Nicholas Lama Leiva going to Tennessee. I don't know how bad I butchered that, but um, I'm going to give myself a, yeah, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back there. (laughs) It's probably as good as anybody could have done. Yeah. So Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see some other news that I didn't talk about before the pod. So I'm sorry, but um, Francis Maya Gaiola. I think I butchered that, too. Um, (laughs) um, The number one rated offensive tackle, though, commits to Miami. And, um, you know, Mario Cristobal and um, Alex Mirabal just continue to be two of the best offensive line coaches in college football um securing him.
1: Yeah, and you know, they're throwing together a really good class too. Um there's somebody else who's supposed to be committing here fairly soon who has Miami in their top top uh 3 or 5 or whatever. Uh, but, you know, Miami is getting a really really good class just like Notre Dame is I'm trying to pull it up real quick to see if, uh, what their rank is. Yeah. Oh,
0: but yeah. Yeah, it's... while you – sorry, go on.
1: No, no you, you
0: <laughs> um, No, I was just going to say, I mean, the the way that Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal are, you know, coaching, uh, recruiting, and developing this offensive line is – I'm so envious of it. Um, it's something Texas obviously hasn't been able to do for such a long time. And, um, you know, hopefully Kyle Flood is the guy who, you know, changes all of that he's known as one of the best offensive line coaches and in the country in college football. But, um, you know, they've said that about a lot of Texas offensive line coaches lately. Um, Herb Hand was supposed to be, uh, a great offensive line coach and he just never worked out at Texas. So we kind of just need to see some results. Um, you know, like Oregon has had with most recently Penny Sewell, but they had a, a litter of good offensive linemen, even if they never panned out in the NFL like they should have. Um, they were constantly in, in uh, conversation for the Moore Award for best offensive line in the country. So, And it looks like they're going to continue that trend in Miami.
1: So, Yeah, and um, finally got it pulled up, but they, they have the, a top 10 class right now at number 10. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a pretty top-heavy class, but, I mean, four players – or, or, sorry, three players in the top 100, and their fourth guy is at 105, so just outside the top 100. Um, but man, Mario Mario Cristobal, I think he's going to bring back uh, the U, um, especially with Jaden Rashada uh, at quarterback. That was a huge hit from them out of Pittsburgh, uh, California, yeah. not Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, but um, I, I think they're going to have a really good class, probably top 10, top five, borderline. Um, mm-hmm. but but Miami going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, here in the near future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It seems like all of these, you know, national brand programs are finally coming back into their own with hopefully Texas, but USC looks to be on that track as well. Same with Miami, obviously um, just, you know, programs that used to be great and, now with NIL, I feel like these boosters are having even more of a say and more of an opportunity to make these schools uh, good again at football.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we didn't talk about it before uh, the pod either, but uh, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, that's, that's going to be a big mix-up of college football um, starting in 2024. And, you know, maybe Texas L.U. move over to the SEC by then as well. Um, so over the next few years college football is going to change quite a bit um and i think it's for the better in my opinion yeah
0: absolutely you know what we didn't talk about this before the pod do you want to kind of get into that a little bit about this you know conference realignment or yeah. do you want to maybe curb it for next for next week i don't want to throw this out too <laughs> quick
1: no let's let's do it i'm ready for it
0: okay yeah <laughs> yeah let's just start it up so UCLA and USC moving in the Big Ten. Obviously, this is a move for the Big Ten to kind of, you know, compete with the SEC and start the conversation of a Big Two conference, you know, uh, between the Big Ten and the SEC. The ACC is still around. Um, They haven't had anybody get poached from them yet. Their TV deal lasts until, I believe, like 2036, so it's a very long deal. So unless the ACC completely uh, like falls apart, it, it's going to be hard to poach programs from them because there's going to be a massive buyout, um, which is why Texas and Oklahoma aren't in the SEC right now because of said buyout for the Big 12 that ends in 2025. But, um, yeah, that's just – I don't know. I feel like the Big Ten – can't stop with just UCLA and uh, USC, even though those are two huge brands for both football and basketball. um, I feel like they kind of got to be aggressive and kind of go after Notre Dame um, or Oregon. Um, We kind of talked about it um, in our group chat, but also, I mean, Utah and Washington are kind of big programs. So what are your thoughts on maybe who the SEC should go after? Because obviously that's where Texas lies, or maybe who the Big Ten might go after next.
1: I I think honestly the SEC is going to get super aggressive here. Um, yeah, I, I I've, I've told you already, but I, I think they're going to go after Oregon and Washington to kind of get that West Coast solidified over there. Um, Oregon obviously brings in a ton of money. Um, yeah, from Nike and Phil Knight and all that. Um, Washington's also you know, a very solid football program, solid athletic program in general. Uh, so going after them would secure that West Coast. <clears throat> and then I think they're going to go after Clemson and Miami um, yeah. very, very aggressively. Um, like you said, the TV deal for the ACC is way out. Um, but um, I, I don't think they're going to have to wait till then. I think if they yeah. are going after Clemson, who's a major program, from the past decade and Miami, who's a very historic borderline blue blood program. Um, they're, they're going to give up as much money as they have to, to get them as soon as possible. Um, because right. I know what the sec doesn't want to want to happen is, you know, they slow play it and eh, let's see what happens. And then the big 10 comes in and swoops all the big players away. Right. Um, and, you know, the sec sitting there, you know, they still have Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, but they could have had you know, a Clemson or a Miami, but they waited too long. Um, so right. that that's kind of what I'm thinking is they're going to get super aggressive here in the next couple of years. Um, and I, I, I feel very strongly about Oregon. Washington's kind of the borderline one for me. Um, mm-hmm. But if they're going to go West Coast, I think they take at least two just to, you know, have a couple of schools close to each other. And then I think they go after Clemson and Miami. And, uh, you know, if, if they miss on one of those, I would say probably Florida state as a backup who, who has been very down the past couple of years, but um, that is a very historic program with a lot of money behind it. Um, so, I, like I said, I think the SEC is going to get really aggressive, uh, but we'll just have to see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I completely agree with you with the ACC. Um, the SEC should go after Miami or Florida state. Obviously Miami's on the up and up right now. Florida State's more of uh, a sleeping giant, if you will. They could be good, but they just haven't been lately because of coaching and, you know, um, whatever else. But kind of getting one or both of those schools would kind of just lock down the Florida, uh, you know, the state of Florida for recruiting. And that's kind of where my mind goes in all of this um, realignment or, you know, conference shifting is – how it impacts recruiting because the more uh, schools you have in a state, the easier it is to recruit in that state because you can tell these recruits, hey, we'll be home for you at least once a year, maybe twice a year on a given, you know, um, yep. schedule. Yep. So that's kind of where my mind goes. So if, if you get Miami and Florida State and you already have Florida, those are the only three – Florida programs that really matter right now. I'm sorry, UCF, (laughs) but um, that would kind of lock down that state of Florida for any kid that kind of wants to stay home or close to it. Um, And Clemson is kind of similar. Um, They might have to bring UNC along with them, or maybe even Duke. But if uh, all things being equal, I feel like UNC is kind of the better get there. Um, Duke losing coach K in basketball might be a huge blow. We just don't know yet. UNC lost Roy Williams, but um even before that, they had Dean Smith and they've had success the entire way, even from last year without um, Roy Williams. So yep. I feel like UNC's a better football program as well. So if they could get like a UNC, a Clemson, a <clears throat> Miami, a Florida State, I think that is like a a dream scenario for the sec um obviously you want oregon and you want utah or uh or washington but i feel like the big 10 kind of has the inside track to those schools because of uh the big 10 already having usc and ucla i don't think oregon wants to recruit a whole different region i think they would <laughs> rather yeah. stay in california and the easiest way to do that obviously would be you know, joining USC and UCLA in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, and, you know, one other team that Texas and Oklahoma have played quite a lot um, is Oklahoma State, and I could very well see Oklahoma State being poached by the SEC. Um, Yeah. You know, even over a Duke or a North Carolina, um, just Mm -hmm. because uh, gaining more ground farther west, you know, trying to expand that recruiting footprint like you were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And not to change the subject or anything, but um, no. I, I was born in North Carolina, so I i am a huge, huge North Carolina basketball fan. I, I did um, not know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, when Roy Williams retired, I, I was kind of upset about that. But um, his replacements, which you know me, at blank on names all the time, um, mm-hmm. did pretty well last year. taking him to the national championship game against uh, Kansas. Um, yeah. But... You know, I, I would take Carolina over Duke. Um, I may be a little bit biased there, but I would definitely take uh, Carolina their basketball, football, um, and even baseball over Duke. Um, and, and, and as well, um, Carolina has a very good lacrosse and soccer team. Um, so it's, it's not just, you know, the big three sports and men and women's. It's it's more their whole athletic department as a whole and it's hubert davis just looked it up
0: (laughs) i i I was looking it up too i was (laughs) i thought i heard you typing so i was like i think he's gonna get it at the end but i did want to make sure because i avoided the name because i forgot (laughs) i'm sorry we're we're sorry hubert davis i'm sure you're listening to this oh yeah Um, every every episode (laughs) yeah exactly he's actually a Huge Texas Longhorns football. Fan. Um, yeah, I did not know you're a UNC fan. I actually I bet them um, throughout the tournament. Um, huge win against Duke. Obviously, that was that was awesome for yeah. multiple reasons. I hate Coach K, even though he's a Chicago guy. Um, just can't stand the guy. So it was great, great win there. Um, yeah, no, we've got a little bit off subject there, but um, to reel us back in. You made a good point there um, with Oklahoma State. We're kind of just, you know, focusing in on the Pac-12 and the ACC, but the Big 12 is is pretty unstable as well. If the SEC wanted, they could definitely start poaching from them, and you know the Big Ten can too. And I actually mentioned this this weekend as well when talking about it. The Big Ten would be smart to go heavy after a Baylor, um, Texas Tech, and uh, TCU. You know just kind of like I say in recruiting, you know, kind of get into the, into the state of Texas, even if it's these smaller schools still um, I'm sure Ohio state would love to have some Texas mates with them so they can tell <laughs> yeah. um, these recruits that they're going to be playing against in, in, in Texas for uh, a couple of games a year. So yeah, yeah and- I, I could definitely see a lot, a lot shifting in the next like two or three years.
1: Absolutely. And, and you did mention that they were smaller schools, but they're not so much football schools um, outside of Baylor with the success they had last year. But I mean, yeah. they have a really, really good basketball programs, men and women's, uh, both Texas Tech and Baylor. Yeah, very um, true. Yeah. So, you know, the Big Ten going after them, you know, you may not see them as the football powerhouses, but but in the mm-hmm. basketball world, they they're definitely in the basketball powerhouse uh, category.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I always, my mind just always, you know, kind of focuses on football one because I love it, but two, because that's the main moneymaker in college yep. athletics. Um, absolutely. I think it, I, I would have to look it up again, but I was doing some research last year when kind of talking about realignment and I had made a whole article on it. Um, I I'm, I'm almost positive. Like football programs make like, Ten times the amount uh, good basketball programs do. Yeah. I think the, I think Texas made over 190 million dollars, and Kansas basketball made like I, I I couldn't even tell you. I don't want to throw out bad numbers here, <laughs> but um, it was it was out, outstanding how much more football made than basketball, especially like you know Kansas is known for basketball. We we clown on them for their football program, but. Um, Obviously, they're a basketball powerhouse. So,
1: yeah, and, and um, one thing I remembered—I took a class at um, Hutchinson Junior College, which is you know one of the top junior college football programs in the country. Um, they actually won the national—they won the national championship this past year. Um, but oh, I took a sports management class, and I remember um, the teacher telling me um, that football. Is what keeps the other sports programs around. Yes, um, football is <laughs> the only one that is not negative at the end of the year, um, and they basically fund every other sports program uh, in the school. Um, so that's right. and that's just a small junior college, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. that kind of gives you an idea of how much money football actually brings brings in. Um, I I would go out on a limb and say that. At Texas, football probably brings in 75% of the income for all sports. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's too far fetched, to be honest. Um, yeah. So, conferences are looking at programs. They, they put money into consideration quite a bit. Um, recruiting footprint is, is obviously on their mind as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, in my opinion, I think they're looking at how much money can we make from these TV contracts. Um, And then, you know, obviously, if you can get a lot of money from a TV contract and expand to a California or kind of solidify Florida, um, of of course, they're going to look at that as well. Uh, But, you know, football is the lifeblood of of most of these athletic departments. So they always got to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. that's a good point. Me as an outsider, I when I'm doing a little fantasy I always think about recruiting because I'm not making money either way, but (laughs) um, these conferences, yes, they're definitely only thinking about how much money it's going to make. And I'm sure, like you said, they do pay to mind, you know, recruiting and uh, national brand. Um, You know, I I think Ohio state would love to, you know, go from East to West coast, which I'm sure they do. Actually, I should have said more like a Wisconsin or, you know, a, a smaller program that's still big, <laughs> but not national brand. Yeah, um, you know, you, like Wisconsin playing USC is great for Wisconsin because it gets eyes across the nation almost. Absolutely. So, um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else on on this realignment. I know we kind of just talked about a lot of different things. here, but <laughs> it, It's an interesting subject that kind of doesn't have any sort of right or wrong answers. It's just kind of playing out scenarios in your head here.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I will jump over to Notre Dame. You mentioned Big Ten potentially mm-hmm. going after them. Um, I, I think they will. Notre Dame feels like a Big Ten school, even though they're not. Um, mm-hmm. but the one thing they do, they do have to keep in mind is outside of football um Notre Dame is an ACC school. Um they right. play in the ACC conference. They would have to have a buyout as well. Um yeah. so they kind of get in that same scenario of at Miami or Clemson leaving to the SEC. Um but you know Notre Dame they have a lot of money. Uh the Big 10 has a lot yeah. of money. Um if if the Big 10 really wants Notre Dame, they'll, they'll figure something out. To, to clean up that TV contract. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see with Texas and Oklahoma, um, hopefully leaving a little bit earlier uh, than 2025.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point with Notre Dame being a part of the ACC. I'm, I'm almost positive it's an eight-year contract. So, um, obviously, that's going to be a huge buyout if Notre Dame were to leave anytime soon. But I just don't see that happening. Notre Dame is such a national brand. Um, I would say they're in the top three national brands in the country, um, along with maybe Texas and USC, um, Alabama right now. So, um, yeah, I just – I don't see them, Notre Dame, really pushing to join a conference because there's just no reason to. Um, There's no reason to pay this huge buyout. Um, They're obviously still a huge national brand. The only thing that might push them is if, um, you know, maybe the Big Ten – or the ACC starts restricting their schedules. So Notre Dame kind of gets squeezed out and they can't play these uh, big programs year in and year out. Like they're playing Ohio state week one uh, next year in 2022. And obviously they play USC every single year, but if Texas, I mean, sorry, if the big 10 wants to squeeze them out and kind of restrict scheduling a little bit more, they definitely can do that. And that would kind of force Notre Dame's hand a little bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, yeah, I don't know. That was a huge um, tangent, but I had (laughs) fun. I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, so I don't think we're going to get to Kansas State today. Um, But we should hit on Kansas right now. Um, Obviously, they're a pretty down program, but obviously they – beat texas last year and it was absolutely horrible to watch um i live bet texas when they were losing and i was like oh my god i am the smartest guy in the world this is awesome (laughs) and um sure enough not the smartest guy in the world uh vegas always wins so yeah absolutely Um, but i'll do what i usually do i'll kind of run through the coaches first we'll talk about them for a minute. Um, And then I'll talk about and then I'll run through the offensive starters, projected starters, and I'll run through the defense projected starters. And we'll talk about those. So um, if you're ready to go, here we go. Um, Head coach Lance Leopold um, from Buffalo, um, from Wisconsin, Whitewater. And um, obviously now he's with uh, Kansas. Andy. Andy. Kotal Nikki also from Buffalo and also from Wisconsin whitewater. Uh, he's their offensive coordinator. Uh, their defensive coordinator is Brian Borland also from Buffalo, also from Wisconsin whitewater. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, obviously Lance Leopold really liked these guys. Um, Wisconsin whitewater, um, not too far away from me. I, I know a little bit about them. They're an absolute powerhouse in division three. Um, Lance Leopold himself won six defense, uh, sorry, six Division Three national championships um, w- when he was at Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, he only lost six games. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. And um, I want to say that it was uh, eight years of coaching at Wisconsin Whitewater. So absolute wagon of a program. Um, kind of makes sense that he brought his offensive and defensive coordinator with him to Buffalo, where. Um, they really didn't have that much success. Uh, He went 37 and 33 at Buffalo. I'm not too sure what went on in those years for Buffalo, but um, in the, in those years, uh, their offensive coordinator, Andy uh, Cotelnicki, again, just absolutely butchering last names here. But Um, he coached Jarrett Patterson, who was an all American in 2020 and, um, is now in the NFL. So, uh, one of the best running backs in college, um, in 2020, he was absolutely electric to watch. Um, the only thing hindering him was his size. I think he measured in at five foot five or five foot six. So really small, but overall incredible player. So, um. Yeah, those are all kind of my tidbits on, on this coaching staff. Do you have anything uh, anything on these guys?
1: Um, I, I really like um, Lance Liebel. Um He's a really good coach. I, I honestly yeah. think that if he was anywhere else, um, he would probably win. Um, KU is basically where football coaches go to die. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's where their careers go down the drain. Um, and, and it's hard to say that, especially – um, because we've lost three or two out of less last four to KU or two out of the last five, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's really hard to talk down on KU, but it's, it's honestly true. Um, yeah. it's, it's just not a good football program. And outside of, what was it, Charlie Weiss in 08, that era, um, it mm-hmm. hasn't been a good program. They, they had a little bit of success then, um, went to the Orange Bowl, I believe. Um, but you know, since then it's, it's been pretty, pretty bad. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of looking at it as if, are they going to put more money into it? Um, allow the coaches to do more recruiting, uh, bring in more transfers. And and I I just don't think they're going to put money into it. I think they're going to focus on basketball. Um, KU is obviously a basketball school, um, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but, but I, I really like, um, Lance Leibold a lot. Um, I don't know that much about his offensive defensive coordinator other than that they followed him basically everywhere he's been. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I I hope he leaves and gets a better job somewhere else just so we can see (laughs) him succeed, honestly. Um, Because I I hate to see somebody waste their potential um, when you know a program's not going to go anywhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I mean, I feel like if, any, if anybody's going to have success, it will be a guy like Lance Leopold because clearly we've we've went through it, but he's brought along his guys with him. He has a culture, obviously, that has worked. Um, maybe it didn't work too much in Buffalo, but something had to work because he got a promotion to Kansas, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I feel like this is the type of team that – that Kansas might actually become a pain and pain in the ass for Texas and other big 12 schools. Um, they're a run first offense, um, hard nosed. It just seems like that they're going to be a tough out every week. Almost. We talked about the big 10 earlier, but almost like in Iowa where they're definitely not the most talented. Um, but the way they play is so physical that they could catch you off guard and, um, uh, you know, give you a run for your money every, uh, every once in a while. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, just some general notes I, I have while I was doing some research, but PFF ranked Kansas as the fifth worst defense in 2021. Um, that's among FBS and FCS schools. Um, that's 130 schools overall. Um, they gave up 30 points in every game of the season, except for week one, when they played South Dakota, um, and then, Pf also ranked Kansas as the seventeenth worst offense in twenty twenty one. Again, out of one hundred and thirty schools. So um, overall, really, really bad showing for Kansas in twenty twenty one. And that makes it so much, so much more bitter that they lost, that they beat Texas that, uh, last year. It's um, it's become Twitter's number one comeback. Whenever yes. Texas is uh, is mentioned in any sort of good way, um, the first thing that is tweeted is a GIF of
1: a Kansas football player or the Jayhawk. Yeah, and you know it's it's also very disappointing that what would you say their offense was the seventeenth worst um, mm-hmm. in the country, and we gave up fifty six points to them. That yeah. That really, really um, has me doubting uh, PK as a defensive coordinator.
0: Um,
1: okay. You know, it, I, I understand it's year one, and uh, but I mean, if you if you can't stop one of the worst offenses in college football, um, even even in year one, uh, it's it, it, it's hard for me to believe in you as a defensive coordinator. That's just my opinion on things. Hopefully he has a really good bounce back here as a DC this year. But um, we'll see. From everything we're hearing, it's going to be a high-scoring offense and a uh, pretty bad defense, um, just like last year. So, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It, it It's so disappointing because Texas just could not stop the run last year. That was, that was the biggest problem. Kansas actually – ran the ball the most they've ever run the ball in this in last season i should say um on texas uh with i think uh their lead running back devin neal had 24 carries that game he didn't top 24 the rest of the season or before that so um when you're having when you're having trouble stopping probably their best asset in devin neal at running back it just sets up the rest of the team for, uh, for failure there. Um, And obviously Casey Thompson threw that pick six um, that did not help. Um, So I don't know. I, I, I really kind of blocked out that game (laughs) in my mind. Um, So I'm having trouble remembering what else happened that game, but none of it was good.
1: No, not at all. Um, (laughs) And, you know, unfortunately that was, the one game where I was in Austin uh, in person that was yeah, killed the trip, obviously. That's but, right. Uh, yeah. I, I, the, the only reason I went, or uh, we went that weekend was um, we'll, we'll go that weekend, basically guaranteed yeah. win. It'll be nice. Nice chill, little relax, win. And, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in overtime. Um, but uh, uh, it was a really good game, um, high scoring game. But, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want a good game against KU. I want to blow out. And I hope that's what we do uh, (laughs) this year. year. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Okay, let me uh, run through the offensive projected starters, um, and then I'll kind of get your thoughts on on them. Um, Quarterback Jalen Daniels, uh, running back Devin Neal, wide receiver Stephen McBride, wide receiver Lawrence Arnold, wide receiver... Luke Grimm or Trevor Wilson in the slot, Uh, tight end Mason Fairchild, left tackle Earl Bostick Jr., left guard Armage Reed Adams, center Mike Norvisky, right guard Michael Ford, right tackle Bryce Cabeldu. Dang, dude, I almost got all of those last names perfectly. That right <laughs> tackle is, is rough. I don't know how I did that. Um, <laughs> what are your first thoughts on, on these players
1: here? Um, I, I think they're going to run the ball again a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, Lawrence Arnold is a really good wide receiver. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a big year and then transfers out to um, get a little more notoriety and maybe enter the draft um, in, after the 2023 season. Uh, But he is a really good wide receiver. Um, But the problem with Kansas is um, their quarterback. uh, They haven't had a really good quarterback in a long time. Uh, And when you don't have a really good quarterback, most times you don't have a really good team. Um, And and that's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, A a good quarterback can make a bad team decent, um, but a bad quarterback can't make a really good team great. Uh, So it's – You know, I think they're going to run the ball again. They're going to stick to their bread and butter like they did against uh, Texas. Um, And, you know, expect Devin Neal to have a big year and expect Jalen Daniels to run a lot instead of passing the ball.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Jalen Daniels, he played the last four games of the season, and he played obviously elite against Texas. PFF ranked him as um, in the 90s against Texas, which is an elite. Uh, great and then after that the last three games he played solid I think he he scored in the 60s and 70s which is good not um, you know great but um, I feel like if he takes the starting role which it seems like he would um, and if he improves this Kansas team might be a pretty dang uh, good team I still think you're right I still think they're gonna run the ball a lot especially with Devin Neal coming back at running back. Um, And they return four out of their five starting offensive linemen. Um, The left guard, Armage Reed Adams, is the only um, new player on that offensive line. The rest of them started all of last year. So a super, super experienced offense. Um, And with a quarterback who is kind of ascending, in my opinion, in Jalen Daniels. I feel like Kansas is going to beat their winter total this year. Um, Vegas has them at two and a half right now. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough because it is still Kansas at the end of the day, but um, they have a lot of returning players. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, it's going to be, I, I think they'll get to at least three. I can, I can even see four wins uh, depending on their out of conference schedule. Um, yeah, but, but, like you said it, it is still kansas um they're not known for their football obviously and and hopefully uh let's can can uh, change that and uh take them from just being a basketball school but then being a basketball and football school
0: right yeah exactly and before we get out of here let's talk about the, this defense on their side um Defensive end Lonnie Phillips, uh, or I'm sorry, Lonnie Phelps is a grad transfer from Miami, Ohio. Uh, defensive tackle Keenan Caldwell. Defensive tackle Caleb Sampson. Defensive end Malcolm Lee. Linebacker Gavin Potter. Uh, linebacker Rich Miller. Uh, linebacker or slot safety, or I mean, sorry slot cornerback depending on their alignment uh taiwan barry hill is their linebacker and their slot is jason gilliam uh outside cornerback jacoby bryant outside cornerback cameron dabney um safety kenny logan and safety oj burrows um First thing I see on this defense is a ton of returning players. They've yes. only lost <laughs> one defensive end and one cornerback from last year. And they replaced that defensive end with a grad transfer from Miami, Ohio, who graded incredibly well. Uh, according to PFF, he had an 84.7 grade in 2021 and 10 sacks and 10, and I'm sorry, 18 hurries um, last year for Miami, Ohio. So a lot of returning production and a lot of veteran uh, presence there on the defense there.
1: Yeah. And, and that's one thing that the first thing as well is um, the front seven um, are all juniors or seniors. Um, the mm-hmm. secondary is a little bit younger um, with three sophomores yeah. and one senior, but um, I, I think they're going to, their the strength of their defense is going to be the front seven, um, especially yep. with um, Lonnie Phillips coming back or uh, transferring in. And mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's still Kansas. I know we keep saying that, and and yeah. like like I said, it's hard to say that when they beat you last year, but it, it <laughs> is still Kansas, and it's it's going to be it's going to be regular Kansas football. Um, a lot slower. They're not going to score, you know, forty points a game. They're going to try to drag the game out, run the ball a lot, run down the clock, and hopefully their defense can get a couple stops and maybe end with the ball in kick a field goal to win the game, something like that. Um, But, yeah, the strength of the defense is definitely going to be the front seven. And then, um, you know, hopefully their offense can get a few points on the board.
0: Yeah, and you know what? You mentioned it. There's a lot of sophomores in the secondary, which kind of, like, surprises me because a lot of the secondary has played a lot. Um, Cameron Dabney is the only new uh, cornerback in the starting lineup. They lost three out of their four uh, 2021 cornerbacks. But uh, Jacoby Bryant was kind of the their best one, anyways. So replacing um, the other two with Cameron Dabney is a little bit of an unknown. But the rest of the secondary played a lot last year. So the fact that they were playing as redshirt uh, freshmen now that they're redshirt sophomores again in a new uh, in the same defense, I should say, kind of a big deal, you know. Um, This, the front seven is definitely going to be their strength because it's the veteran presence in it. Um, but if the secondary kind of develops in any sort of way, this defense could be not, not, you know, good in national terms, but in terms of the Big 12 and, you know, having to go to Kansas to play them again, I keep saying it, they could be a little bit of a pain. Um, and, and they could surprise, like, uh, you know, like in Oklahoma or in Oklahoma State, coming off of a, a a tough road game and then going to Kansas, it could present some problems for these schools.
1: Yeah, and you know it, we've always seen it for some reason. Oklahoma and Texas have struggled with Kansas the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Oklahoma usually closes the game out and wins it uh, late in the fourth quarter, but um, like you said. Um, if, if this Kansas team somehow improves on the defense and um, their quarterback uh, improves as well, um, you know they, they can make it tough on a couple of these top teams in the Big 12, like, a, like you mentioned, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State.
0: Yeah, and the only reason I don't add Texas to that list is because I have a 100% uh, confident feeling that Texas is going to be up for this game. I don't think <laughs> that Steve Sarkisian and Pete Kukowski are kind of going to let this Texas team fall flat at Kansas next year. I think they're going to run up the score if they have to. They're going to really try to get that momentum back because losing to Kansas is incredibly deflating, obviously, but um, you can't lose to Kansas two years in a row. Um, that's worse than Tom Herman losing to Maryland. <laughs> um you know, it's just you, you can't let that happen. So Steve Sarkeesian's going to be ready for that game. I have a feeling, but like, like we keep mentioning teams like uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, maybe even Baylor. I think Baylor's a little bit too talented. Um, Oklahoma State might be too as well. But you know, a, a Big Twelve team that you think is going to win—I I have a feeling that they're going to drop one um, when they play Kansas. So. Um, if that's all, I kind of want to get your prediction now. Um, uh oh. <sighs> what do you think your record's going to be? Yeah.
1: I... Um, going, going over there out of conference, um, they host Tennessee Tech, which is not yeah. a gimmick. Tennessee Tech has had a good teams over the years, um, mm-hmm. but they're obviously not to the level of a, a Power Five school. Um right. so, so I'm gonna give Kansas that one and then they go to Houston and then host Duke for the other two. You that's, forgot
0: West Virginia. Oh September tenth uh, they play West
1: Virginia. Oh I was just I was just going over the auto conference. Oh I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was sitting there, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> but um but between Duke and Houston for their other two out of conference, that's they're gonna lose to Houston. Duke is probably a toss-up, but that's probably a loss as well. Um, so, I mean, you're looking at uh, – I'm going to go with three wins. Um, I, I think they beat Tennessee Tech. I think they could possibly beat Duke. And then um, later on down the schedule, um, Texas Tech or, or K-State even, um, mm-hmm. they could win one of those or both of those. Um, so it, I'm going to go with three wins on the year. Um yeah but I want to say 2 but I'm going to go with 3.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I kind of agree with you there. We just talked about it, but I think Tennessee Tech they got to win that game. Um between um in their in their next 3 games, West Virginia, Houston, Duke, I think they take one of those. Um I don't think it's Houston. I think it's between West Virginia and Duke. I think they take one of those. And then later in the year, I think they take one from either um, Texas Tech. I would be surprised if it was Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, but it could be one of them. Um, oh, Iowa State again, another one. Um, that one's at Kansas, so that kind of helps their odds a little bit. Um, I think they take one there. So I also have three. I don't know where they're gonna come. I'm not gonna call my shot here because <laughs> I don't have to. It's it's our podcast. We make the rules. <laughs> Yes, so. absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you're betting over-unders, uh, I would take the over in the Kansas one because I do think that they're a well-coached team, and I think they're going to be a tough out every week, um, you know, if 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 everything goes according to plan. Obviously, if, if a team gets up big on them, they can run the score up pretty easily. But uh, if the cards fall right, I think Kansas can, can beat a lot of
1: teams in the Big 12. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, probably outside of that, um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas, um, and you could even throw mm-hmm. Baylor in there. Um, yeah. But but who knows? You know, a, a team comes off of, you know uh, a draining win, um, a high emotion win, something like that, and then they go play at Kansas. Uh, it, it's easy to struggle after after a game like that. Um, yep. So who knows? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised for them to get 3 wins. I wouldn't be surprised if they only had 1 win if if I'm being honest. Right. Um, yep. So it's kind of a toss up of cases.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's always tough to to project, you know, bad uh historically bad, I should say, um teams because you don't want to go too far in on how bad they are because then when they beat you it's like really bad luck <laughs> yeah. our thousands and thousands of listeners that we have each week they're going to come back to this and then they're going to quote us and um you yeah. know put us on blast on twitter so yes. um yeah so we're going to kind of play the middle uh and just say kansas might be good they could beat <laughs> literally anybody that's our take uh, <laughs> um all right so yeah we definitely don't have time for kansas state we kind of got into it a little bit with the realignment talk which was great so i think next week we'll we'll kind of finish out the big 12 unless something massive happens um and we'll talk about kansas state and uh, tcu and then after that we will uh i don't know i don't know what we'll do we'll (laughs) we'll we'll talk about something we'll find something fun to talk about um i got a couple ideas rolling around i can I can talk to you off air, and we'll yeah we'll figure it out.
1: So, <laughs> but
0: all right, um, I think that's it. Unless you have
1: any parting shots, Mike. Um, not that I can think of. Um, but hopefully, we'll we'll have a good episode next week, and we'll have some ideas flowing for the weeks after that. Um, after we finish out the Big Twelve.
0: Yeah, for sure. But all right, uh, with that, thank you all for listening. Um, make sure to leave us a rating wherever you're listening. Um, share with your friends, your Longhorn friends. And, um, yeah, we'll just continue to keep rolling. Send us your mailbag questions on Twitter, um, at Texas Talk underscore. Um, DM us, you know, comment below our posts, uh, whatever it takes. But just, uh, yeah, leave, give us some uh, – Give us some questions for mailbag episodes. So, uh, with that, we will talk to you guys next week. As always, poke
1: welcome. them.